1: Welcome to Wine Talk for today, Wednesday, August 25th, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I'll take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. You can go to my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or ask me any questions you like. I've also set up uh, the ability to tweet your questions on Twitter, and the easiest way to do that is to go to at stewthewineguru.com. Put your question in and put hashtag or the number sign and stwg at the end of your question. I will then read it live on the air. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. Call that the power of the people meets the power of the internet. Now, if you want to find out more about me, just Google Stew the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles. And shows I'm currently a part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo and The Examiner, so look for those as well. Look for my review of my guest wines tonight for The Examiner and Yahoo within the next week or so, or within the next week, you can go to examiner.com and put in Stu the Wine Guru and find it there. I've also made a Wine 101 series of videos that can be viewed on both YouTube or my website. So check those out.
0: You're listening to Stew the Wine Guru on blogtalkradio.com.
1: Uh, I think you already knew that already, right? Yeah. Cheers. Tonight, as always, when I have a guest... I'll be changing the format because I want to dedicate the full hour to him. I'm very happy to get the opportunity to talk to this pioneer in the wine world. He's responsible for some of the most sought-after wines out of Napa Valley. The names of some of them are Nickel & Nickel, Farniente, Dolce, and Enroute. His name is Dirk Hampson, and the vineyard he'll be calling us from is Nickel & Nickel, and he will be with shortly. Of course, the number to call in is one 381 4860 or if you're shy and you prefer the computer, email me your questions for both Dirk and I at info at stewthewineguru.com. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I've opened a chat room for the listeners to go into and chat. You can also ask questions of Dirk or myself, and I'll check into the chat room live periodically during the show to get answers for you. I also mentioned that I've embraced Twitter I've set, up, uh, I've set it up so that you can tweet your questions for me or Dirk. So go to Twitter.com, enter at StewTheWineGuru, then tweet your question and add hashtag or pound sign, S-T-W-G at the end, and I'll select a question during the show and ask it live. But first off, I have an announcement to make. I want to thank the listeners who are following me on Twitter. I've just become a Twittebrity. And I'm enjoying the immediacy of the medium. I like the ability to give updates in real time. And my guests are doing the same to promote the show. So thanks to Twitter and social media. Remember, if you have questions, I have answers, so call me at one six four six three eight one four eight six zero 381 4860 or email me at info at Again, get into the chat room, voice your opinion, or tweet me on Twitter, any of your questions. Now, let me make sure that everyone listening knows Dirk's websites and can go there for more information about his great wines. To learn more about Dirk, go to www.nickel.com and nickel.com and find out where you can buy his wines locally uh, in your town or buy them directly from nickel and nickel that's the beauty of the internet so without further wait let's bring on my guest for the night dirk hampson of nickel and nickel dirk welcome
2: hey. hi Stu. how are you doing
1: i'm doing fantastic i, I want to uh first of all i want to start by thanking you for being on my show and discussing your great wines with us. It's an honor to have you here tonight.
2: It's a pleasure. It's uh, been pretty warm out here in Napa Valley the last couple of days, so I'm just happy to be in some place that's feeling a little bit cool and talk about some of our wine.
1: Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, I have lots of questions for you, so I'm going to get right to it. Uh, Being a native of Oregon, what made you decide to go to UC Davis instead of studying uh enology in Oregon
2: well yeah 30 year 30 years ago when i was in college um the enology program up at uh, Oregon state was really just kind of uh, getting started and pinot noir was pretty young in Oregon at that point and uh UC Davis is one of the world's great wine schools uh, can, it kind of came as a surprise to me because I was an English major until I ended up switching into winemaking at UC Davis. But it was it was really? love of wine that, that drew me to UC Davis, and it's it is a great place.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now you honed your craft all over Europe. Uh, as I see, you were at Schloss Ballrods in uh, Germany, mm. and, Le uh, and uh and Chateau Mouton Rothschild in uh, France as the first American to apprentice there now I have to say uh, hats off to you on that uh, accomplishment because um, anyone in the industry and especially during that time it's changed since then but during that time uh, it wasn't you know you weren't so welcome as an American There wasn't an embracing an open arms embracing of sure come learn here. Um, you know, so, they,
2: they tended to view the, the uh, California wine industry as very young and not knowing what it was doing, so I think in their minds they were probably taking a little bit of mercy on me, but on the other hand, <laughs> uh, they have remained friends and they ultimately could not have been more open or helping of somebody who was young and becoming a winemaker. So I I continue to greatly appreciate what uh, Mouton, Libre Roy, and Schloss Vorrad all did to help me, and It's part of what makes the world of wine actually um, a wonderful business world because even though we're in competition we do tend to still help each other a lot
1: right absolutely now now that brings me to my next question so what what did you learn from your experiences in Europe because that that would be something that I think my listeners would love to hear
2: um it's it's kind of funny whether you speak another language you just ex- get exposed to another culture you end up learning new ways to approach the same problem um, oftentimes at UC Davis or at other wine schools, you were taught kind of a right way and a wrong way to do certain things in winemaking. And actually what is often taught in Germany is different than in Burgundy, different than Bordeaux, and again, different than California. So I actually, I'd say the most valuable thing I learned is that there's not a single right or wrong way to make wine. And then right. the, other, the other thing is that the Europeans tend to celebrate in their tasting and how they enjoy wine, what is good about a wine. And often Americans tend to look at what is wrong with a wine, and that hmm. changes how I make wine, but it also changes how I, how I enjoy wine. So uh, they have a very long tradition of it being part of life, and that's, right. that's a pretty healthy approach. So th- there's a lot of, there's, as I said, there's a lot of great things to be shared throughout the world
1: in wine. Oh, I agree a thousand percent. In fact, I, I found that to be the case when I, I had traveled, uh, you know, to to Paris and to France and into Bordeaux and so on. Um, there, there seems to be at least now uh, a great openness, and, and 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 I mentioned, of course, Bordeaux and and uh, Burgundy and and France, but also in my travels in other places in Spain, where they just, you know, I think it's just a community. It's a large community. And, uh, and, and so,
2: a, We just had a Cabernet Symposium here in Napa Valley, and there were Cabernet producers from Italy, Argentina, France, uh, all over the place, and most definitely is a community that, that comes together uh, and enjoys both the competition but the the helping hand, improving it for each other.
1: Now, isn't that a great thing about wine?
2: Yeah, there's not a doubt. There mean, are very, very few other industries have it where um, – competitors genuinely enjoy and help each other to this extent.
1: That's exactly what I was trying to bring out, and you said the point perfectly. Okay, uh, More on to, you know, 1983 you're back in the States and in charge of building the program for then fledgling Farniente, and I find that about as ironic a statement as possible Mm -hmm. uh, that they could ever have been fledgling um, but since since it is now on the top brands in the world, it's got to be one of the top brands in the world, what did you do to accomplish this?
2: Oh, you know, it was, um, first of all, I'd love to take credit, but there was a whole mess of us, uh, even yes. though we were a very small company then. I mean, Gil Nickel, who since has died, but Gil Nickel started out with a view that there could be a win- there could be wineries in Napa Valley that were, if you want to call it the equivalent of first growths in the world, where they are devoted to uh, quality and consistency year in, year out, um, effort without, without uh, sparing expense. And that was, that was kind of a new idea then in that a lot of us were just figuring out how to make wine, let alone how to make um, classically styled, consistent, distinctive wine. And so uh, it was a relatively small community back then, but it was it was that kind of effort year after year that eventually got recognized, and it ultimately is that effort that still defines the, kind of the heart of why Farniente is a really special estate.
1: Oh yes, most definitely. So so if you would just you know on the assumption that you know there are listeners out there that are not familiar with some of the brands that you have. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell them um, how you got involved with Nickel and Nickel.
2: Okay, well, uh, as I said, I, was, I started as a, as assistant winemaker at Farniente in 82 and became winemaker, and then ultimately I was the guy behind starting our dessert wine winery, Dolce. In the course of making Farniente's wine, which is this famous, both the Chardonnay and the Cabernet are famous, but they are blended to our house style, and they come from a number of vineyards, we kept recognizing that there were certain vineyards that had these wonderful characteristics year after year, very distinctive, if you want to call it personality, personality of place of a vineyard. And while those got blended in and were important to the Farniente style, we also, since we love wine and love sharing it, recognized those were things that other people could enjoy just as much as we did. And after talking about we started probably talking about the idea of making single vineyard wines in about 1994, but it wasn't until the harvest of 1997 that we started Nickel & Nickel as a winery where the only thing we do is making single vineyard wines where these vineyards with personality, people can get a feel for how incredibly different different corners and areas of Napa Valley are as they express the main variety we make is Cabernet, but we make other varieties too. Right. So it, it – and it, it really – you can have – in some cases, we have vineyards that are right beside each other. And whether you're, you're an expert or you're a novice, you can tell that they really are different year after year um, just as easily as you can tell the difference in personalities of your good
1: friends. Ah, and that's a great – I have to tell you, that's a great um, analogy or, you know, kind of comparison. Yeah, so I've got a call here that's come in. You, you mind if I take a call for you? Go ahead. Okay, great. Super. Hold on one second. Hi, caller. What is your name, and where are you calling from?
0: My name is Javier Cayox. How are you doing, Stu? from uh, the Napa area, actually, for Hirtbow in Sonoma County.
1: <laughs> right around the corner, huh? Mm-hmm. Right around the Javier.
0: I'm doing great. How about you?
1: Excellent, excellent. So so let me ask, from a winemaker to a winemaker, what what question do you have for Dirk tonight?
0: Well, actually, I'm not one maker. I own a winery. My uh, yes. question for him is how he deals with three or four different wineries. How his approach to each one is he's uh, uh you go to each one and you work with each one, or you just work as a corporation all all together?
2: Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you for your question, Javier. Um, in fact, each of these are truly separate wineries, and while I used to be the winemaker, I'm now the director of winemaking, so each of these wineries has a winemaker that is thinking completely about what makes that winery distinctive. So uh-huh. our winemaker, Nicole Marchese at Farniente, she's really worrying about how we do things and how the blend expresses Farniente's consistent style. At Nickel & Nickel, Doris Spinelli is our winemaker, and she is... I work with her thinking about each of the single vineyard wines. Um, at at uh, Dolce, it's, it's Greg Allen, and Dolce is a dessert wine. is very, very technical to make. Um, and then in Sonoma, we have All Route that is making Pinot Noir, and, and uh, Andrew Delos only worries about Pinot Noir. At each of those places, I, I kind of have to switch gears as I work with a winemaker, and I'm working really on what makes that place special, not what we typically do at another winery. So, yes, each one is separate, is distinct, and it is a combination of me working with the winemaker, but very much the winemaker doing his or her job in, in crafting those wines. Um, so, it's, yes, we are a corporation. I suppose that's the modern world. But each place is um, very hands-on by the person that, that is in charge of that wine.
0: Okay. Now let me ask you another question. What do you think of Sonoma compared with Napa?
2: I don't tend to compare Bordeaux to Napa or Burgundy to Napa, and to be honest, I don't really compare Sonoma to Napa. Um, I happen to be a huge fan of, of areas of Sonoma. We have started a winery in Russian River, a particular <laughs> part of Sonoma, and I happen to think that Pinot Noir in Russian River and Chardonnay in Russian River is as distinctive and wonderful as those varieties are anywhere else. So I tend to look at where a variety grows well, really well. For instance, we make, uh, at Nickel Nickel, we make a single vineyard, Zinfandel from Dry Creek, and that's mm-hmm. as famous as it can be for Zinfandel. So I tend yes. to look at what is, the, what is the grape and the vineyard and the wine as far as it being distinctive for its area and wonderful so I I don't tend to look at it as trying to compare one area to to another
0: now what you That's think of question. the per-
1: okay.
0: oh thank you what do you think of the new um, the two permits we have two permits in, in this area as you know the old permit and the new permits and there's some people who is talking to convert to everything to the all to the old permit you think that can make sense for the big vineyards on the small vineyards we can survive with that.
2: You know, I, I, to be honest, I don't know how to address that right now. Keeping up on all the changes in permits is—I is, uh, would—I would, I would yeah. end up showing my ignorance. But I—I um, I can say that in the various places I've been in the world, uh, in this country and in Europe, high-quality vineyards, small, high-quality wineries, small, when they have personality, can. Can compete successfully against large corporate interests. I, be, I believe that completely, and certainly my experience is there. So, I um, there is consolidation in the wine industry, and on the other hand, I see lots of room for distinctive, small places that deliver the personality and the passion
0: that wine lovers like to share. Okay, but I do you think be okay for? The new permit, convert everything to one permit and not two permits like it is right now? You
2: no, know, on the permits, I, I just honestly, I just don't I don't know because uh, I don't know enough about the permit process right now in Sonoma.
0: Okay. Well, it's kind of the same on uh, Napa, who you have the two, the old permits, you can do whatever you want, and then the new permit is,
2: yeah, everything and, is appointment only. It's been that way for a long time, and, they, and the permits, Within Napa Valley, the people continue to do, the people continue to do well, and they and there are more and more people who keep on getting the new permits. So I'm, I haven't found that that is ultimately what's important. I think that the how how good the vineyards are, how much people care, and the attention to detail, how good the wine is, those are the things that ultimately count far more than um, a lot of the regulation.
1: Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. The, the and I, and I appreciate,
1: I, I appreciate your, your, you asking those questions, Javier. They're very important questions. Um, I, I hate to cut you short, though, because I have a lot of callers that the the phone lights are lighting up, and I'm also uh, I've got a few uh, a bunch of emails here that of uh, questions for Dirk as well. So um, I want to thank you. I really appreciate you calling in and and asking your questions of Dirk. And you can call in any time uh, to the show. Um, and uh, and thank you, thank you for your for your input and your participation.
0: No problem. Thank you for 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 having my call, and uh, I'm going to talk to you very soon. Good.
1: Thanks again. Have a great evening. Take care. Javier. You too. Bye bye. Okay. So, I have a couple questions from. Let's see, some email questions. I'll take a few of those, and then we'll get back into a few of the questions I have for you. Uh, Let's see. First up is from Raji Wine from New Delhi, India, and it says, Stu the Wine Guru, my family and I enjoy listening to your show. This is a very informative and entertaining show. My question for Mr. Hampson is, what trends in irrigation do you see happening that is different from years back? Thank you. That's his question.
2: Okay. Um, Irrigation about 30 years ago really wasn't an issue almost all of our area was on one rootstock rootstock AXR1 and it was it took minimal irrigation and really minimal management at this point um at this point the highest quality vineyards in pla in in a good deal of uh Napa Valley their quality is very tightly uh tied into irrigation management. We have so- a huge variety of soils, and there's a huge variety of types of rootstocks, along, along with the actual varieties on top of that, that some of them have much greater transpiration than others. Um, when, when people started thinking about irrigation management, we did the logical thing, and most of us looked at the soil and so people right. used neutron probes, they used pits, they used a number of different things. At this point, most of the high-quality vineyards are actually checking how the plants are reacting to their need for water as opposed to exactly what is in the soil. And that is a, that is a uh, depending on the time of the year, it is, it is a much more accurate measurement of what is really needed in irrigation. And we do that with something that's called a pressure bomb, where essentially a leaf is removed from the canopy towards the middle of the day, and we put it in a little chamber and we apply pressure to it, and it tells you exactly how much stress the vine is under. Um, it, it use, there, are, there are irrigation strategies that are based on, is it going to be very hot weather? Are you near, um, are you near veraison? Are you near harvest? And certain beliefs it used there has for a long time based a lot of it out of really out of writing out of France people believe that a vine needs to be stressed that it has to work hard in order to make quality there's really actually kind of times that are best for stress and an amount of stress that is probably best but um, we try to end up within a band that we've identified on how much stress is identity is, is desirable and Generally, under our conditions, which are very different to Bordeaux, where it's not actually legal to irrigate, uh, but they typically right. get they typically get about one rainstorm a week in Bordeaux. Um, so they're, they're almost don't need irrigation. It's just natural. Uh, yeah,
3: exactly. They don't need to.
2: And so, But uh, it used to be that we would irrigate probably twice a week in order to sort of be keeping the vine happy, but not, not uh, with too much water and monitoring this, we're now finding that, that it might be a little bit more natural and fit a vine's uh, typical needs if we actually do fewer irrigations but we give it more water during those irrigations. Having said that, it varies by the season. Last year we were, we were irrigating relatively early in the season. This year mm-hmm. some of our, most of our vineyards have not had a single irrigation yet because we had a very, we've had a very cool summer, which may give very high quality, but it's going to be a late harvest. Um, and we had a lot of w- water in the spring, so we ended up with soils that were full of lots of water for the vines. So
1: That's what I've been hearing, by the, the way. The vine, way.
2: Yeah, measuring the vine, we end up doing what is needed as opposed to following a recipe. So that, I was a little bit long-winded there, but you can see no, no, a lot, of, no. a a lot very, of
1: variables. I really appreciate because that's the kind of information – that my listeners need to, to hear and understand. Uh, you know, a lot of people that are listening from around the world, you know, have kind of in-depth questions and have questions that are not simply, you know, yes or no answers.
2: Yeah, it's, there's um, a, there's and more and more science being applied to irrigation, and it is extremely important in a lot of places. I can't, that's oh,
1: absolutely. So the next question mm-hmm. is from Carl462 from Reykjavik, Iceland. It says, Stu, you have really hit on something here. This is a great show and fun to listen to. My question for Dirk is, do you find it difficult to run multiple wine companies and maintain your sanity? (laughs) Um, Let me tell you something. I want to just interject for one second. I get some pretty incredible uh, questions from around the world. And when you listen to my show, Dirk, next time you listen to my show, you'll see what I'm talking about. Some of the people you would be amazed the questions that I get, so yeah,
2: my, my guess on ask, asking whether I re, retain my my sanity depends on the time of the season and and who you ask. I have teenagers, so if you ask them, they probably think i 'm insane all the time, <laughs> and um, and if you get it to, at certain times of harvest where you 're really worried about the weather and the whole bit it 's a little bit crazy, but I became a winemaker because I actually like that particular type of call it stress or challenge and all and i consider that i'm the luckiest winemaker i know that in dealing with four wineries um and i've we approach this very much as a team where we have great people in sales we have great people in production great people in all right in all these various areas and i'm lucky enough to work with all of them and i do help set direction but um the 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 thing is with these different companies, as one of our companies or one of our people discovers something, we have this ability to share with each other. And as we have ideas, there are some very, very talented people that we get to bounce them off of and work with them. So, in fact, we, there's, a, there's this sharing that for us is synergistic and really helps as opposed to feeling like you're just trying to keep up with the whole wine industry on your own. So I actually right. think that we are, we are, we are blessed by having, having wineries that are distinct and separate and at the same time work together and associated with each other. It's Absolutely. Hey, yeah, I've got way. another
1: question for you, by the way, on, on, on the phone. Um, you want to take another call? Sure. sure. Excellent. Okay, so caller, what is your name and where are you calling from?
3: My name is Gray. I'm
1: calling from the Philippines. Hey, Gray from the Philippines. How are you doing, Stu? All right. I'm doing very well. Gray, by all means, please ask Dirk your question.
3: Yeah, well, I'm listening to uh, Dirk's insane ramblings. And um, (laughs) and, uh, basically, here's what I'd like to know, Dirk. Here in the Philippines, of course, almost... All of our wine, of course, is imported, except for maybe coconut wine. Um, but I, um, I haven't
2: had the pleasure of that yet.
3: Oh, <laughs> de- oh man, it, it's 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 a treat. It's I don't think it'll ever rival <laughs> grape
2: wine. But I'm just I'm just wondering the a proper way treat. to open the coconut. But okay, go ahead. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but uh, my question is very simple. You know, um, for I guess. An untrained palate, or whatever. Uh, What is it that makes a hundred-dollar wine uh, as opposed to a thirty-dollar wine? I mean, to me, they may taste practically the same. Is what are the subtleties? To me, uh, okay. If I if I take a a glass of wine, a couple of glasses of wine, and and I taste them. uh, the taste doesn't seem to be that much different. The bouquet doesn't seem to be that much different. They could be extremely similar in 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 very many ways, and yet one wine, one of these, will cost you know like ninety, a hundred dollars, and the other one will cost twenty five, thirty dollars. What is it that makes a, a wine worth that much?
2: There are wine writers who are a good deal more erudite than I that spend a lot of time talking about that. I do have I have a couple of opinions on it. Um, there's, there's, uh, and and obviously there are wines that go up into the thousands of dollars per bottle, and mm-hmm. and just magnifies the difficulty of this whole thing. Um, there's the the law of supply and demand. If people want want something, and there's only a tiny amount of it, it tends to make the price go up. Um, and then there's there's the economics that making really good wine is a very expensive undertaking ultimately if it can get that price is usually if it can deliver something special year after year after year because really Uh it's a very very tiny percentage of the world's wines are over seventy dollars a bottle Hmm. Um, I don't know the number but I'm going to venture that it's less than one percent of the world's wine um, as far as as far as volume goes but I I look at it a little bit differently because there are some winemakers I know that think of themselves as artists, and I don't think of winemakers as artists. I tend to think of us as craftsmen, that the good ones, the more they practice, the better they get at it. Um, But there are wines, and sometimes it's who you shared it with or where you shared it or what the occasion was, but there are wines that people have that when you have it, you have an emotional reaction that might be the same as if you if you happen to like art you look at a certain painting and you kind of look at it and you just kind of go wow and you're not sure why it's that good but you know it is and there, I don't know how to sit there and say that a, that there are certain picassos that are worth 100 million dollars you know I I don't have 100 million dollars to spend on a picasso so you know it's not really an issue but and and obviously if I look at a picasso then the next person can look at it whereas if I drink a bottle of wine the next person can't drink that. So they're not completely analogous. But the ability of, of a great wine to create an emotional reaction other than just the alcohol in it is something that is special and, it, and that people like to share and is worth paying for. So that's, you know those are, the, those are the three approaches that I take to why are there wines that seem to get the price where it may not float my boat, but it might float somebody else's boat that much.
3: Okay, so aside from the quantifiable uh economics of it, uh, there's also the simply the, the subjective uh
2: the subjective emotional
3: emotional aspect. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. And I mean I cool. have had I've had there's one wine I had in my life, uh, that was the single best wine I've ever had, and I've been lucky enough to be to be have a lot of nice wines shared with me. And I've had that wine was so good I did not have the words. To describe it, I just knew it was incredible. I've had that wine eight times, and every time after the first time that I had it, I knew I was about to have the best wine I'd ever had in my life, and it was even better than I remembered. <laughs> you know, and I, I've wow. had, I there's a couple of paintings I've seen in my life in certain museums where I will make a special trip if I'm in that city to go back and see that painting because it was so special. Mm-hmm. These wines did the same thing to me, so that is very
1: special. There you go. Um, it's, if I may interject, it's, it, it, this might also kind of give uh, shed light. It's on a visceral level. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Very emotional. So I think that kind of I think that kind mm-hmm. of transcends the the you know just mm-hmm. the idea that someone said I've done a lot to make this wine. I've put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and craftsmanship into it. It becomes also like yeah. As it is visceral to look at a, a painting that just literally uh, touches you in the right way, you know, what I mean, just really moves you. The same thing can can apply to a wine.
2: And a wine does not have to be expensive in order to have for you to have that emotional effect. I mean, you know, I can I can tell you different wines that 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 I had at points in my life where for some reason they were important to me. And they go all the way from uh, there was a, there was, there was a time with a Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill, all the way up <laughs> all the way up to some pretty
1: incredible
0: Burgundy. Oh so you
2: Boone's know Farm. it's not it's not just a it's not a price thing. It really is it is about the person's reactions.
1: Right. Exactly. So
3: a lot of times, then uh, a thirty dollar bottle of wine could give you that. Visceral reaction, and, and and you may not need that hundred or two hundred dollar bottle absolutely. of wine to get it. Ab, ab,
2: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I trade wine with friends who are winemakers, and I've I have some wine right now that that I absolutely adore. Uh, that I got that, uh, that I got for twelve dollars a bottle, and it is great. I want, I, I,
1: yep. I, and and, and just, the name. just on that point, <laughs> absolutely on that point. Uh-huh. Uh, there are wines I've mentioned on on this show before that are. Ten dollars, and they drink like, I, and you know, I'll say a fifty or sixty dollar bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. As far as the quality, it's just your palate. It really is. It's your palate, and your palate tells you this is a great experience, and I'm enjoying this. And everybody's palate is different. It's the same thing as we mentioned earlier. Just to kind of reiterate, in that that you could look at a uh, one person looks at a uh, a piece of artwork and says, "This is the best thing I've ever seen." and is crying, and someone else looks at it and goes, boy, that's a piece of junk. I don't know what you see in it, you know? Exactly. Um, So, well, I want to say, first I want to say thank you for calling from the Philippines, um, uh, Gray. And I also want to let everybody know that um, Gray is a voiceover, uh, probably one of the best voiceover artists out there, uh, I happen to know. And, uh, Gray, I don't know if you just wanted to uh, just mention uh, I get people from every walk of life call <laughs> call this show people who are enthusiasts from every level and 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 do everything do it from artists to to uh, wine enthusiasts to everything to musicians. So great, if you just want to you know let people know well
3: um i um i't I don't, I don't think I sound much like a voiceover guy uh, <laughs> I, but uh, you're doing a uh, bad job here right now no. I'm kidding. <clears throat> which is weird because you know you expect a voiceover guy to say hi how are you i'm mr voiceover guy but right. um uh basically uh i built a i've been in asia for a number of years i've worked uh in the studios i've ran, run a number of recording studios uh uh i've worked with uh so many uh, like computer manufacturers like uh asus and uh and uh um IBM and and Compaq in terms of uh, you know helping them to sell their stuff Toyota Cadillac and so forth here in Absolutely. Asia uh, and uh, I'm also uh, doing I'm I'm if you go to Hawaii if you settle on Maui for a, a couple of weeks you'll hear my voice on the uh, visitor cable uh, channel in all the hotels because that's excellent that's what, I, that's what another thing that I do um, I just but, wanted to let uh, people
1: know. Yeah, I just wanted to let
3: well, I wanna, know, you know. I want to I I steer them to my website, if, that, if you don't mind uh, a shameless plug. Uh, go ahead. With, uh, my website is www.graysvoice.com. That's G-R-A-Y-S-V-O-I-C-E, all one word, graysvoice.com. So if you need a voice or if you just want to hear some cool stuff, uh, just uh, go there, www.graysvoice.com, and uh, check out some of the demos we got there.
1: Thanks, oh, Thank great. you, Stu. I appreciate it. Great appreciate, to listen to your show. Thanks, thanks again. I really appreciate it. And, and, and thanks for calling into the show and uh, calling anytime. And great. We'll talk with you soon. All right. Thank you, Dirk. Take care.
3: Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Okay. So so off, i got a couple more questions, a bunch of questions here from the chat room here, as well as, let's see, um, another question from uh, email. This is from Kippy Grape from Auckland, New Zealand, and it says, "Stu, I've been listening from very early on in your shows. Your recommendations are right on. Your guests are always entertaining. Dirk, mm-hmm. what are what are the new trends in winemaking? And that are I'm sorry. What what new trends in winemaking are on the way, if any? And will you adopt be adopting those practices? Cheers to you both.
2: Boy, uh, what new trends?" <laughs> uh, there's always new things and um i am drawing a blank on anything particularly big i mean there's there is certainly a um a growing trend among among uh the high-end wineries to have gone from uh cluster sorting to actually sorting the individual berries before they go into before they go into the tank um and we are we tend to Keep on being, our wineries tend to keep on being informed and experimenting with these things. And to say whether we'll adopt something, um, we don't tend to adopt unless it, it improves quality as related to the styles that we have chosen for our wineries. So just because okay. something's a hot new thing. Um, there are a, certainly, uh, it continues to be a bigger and bigger trend for wineries to be organic. And we are largely organic. We don't advertise it. Um, and that, I don't, we don't advertise it because what, what we really are about is making great wine. And we think that it's actually better for the health of the vineyard and better for the quality of the fruit if we farm it organically. But we're not making our wine as if it's some medicine. We're trying to make it be great wine. Um Within that, we also, it is certainly a trend of a lot of the higher-end wineries to be becoming more green. So uh, actually, our two wineries that have facilities, Farniente and Nickel and Nickel, they're both 100% solar at this point. Um, But being green involves um, composting, it involves recycling, and a whole mess of other things. Correct. We don't make better wine because... Uh, we recycle. We don't make better wine because um, of the solar field. We do think it's responsible, and that it that it is a good thing, and it's something that both that we as uh, that we as an our entire team, employees, as well as an awful lot of the people that like to drink our wine, they appreciate the extra effort that we go to. Um, Within winemaking, other things, uh, oh, boy. You know, I'd say the biggest, the, the trend that is coming along is probably the ability to get a lot more data as far as with sensors, be it, um, and there's lots of sensors related to uh, time, pump over, chemicals, all sorts of things. And I we are going very slowly on that because I'm not expecting that we really believe that data can replace what a winemaker does as far as uh, observations and feel and making the changes that allow style to be expressed at the highest level. So those are, those are things that come to mind off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, okay. I got another question here for, let's see, Matt uh, and his email is wine one, one And it says, um, how do you feel the 2007-2008 Uh, Vintages are coming along This is for nickel and nickel I guess
2: Okay Um, I'm going to answer this uh, Thanks for the question Matt Um, I'm going to answer this related to Cabernet Because that's the main thing that we do And all of our Cabernets are from Different vineyards, single vineyards In in Napa Valley Um, 07 Is a vintage That is being very highly touted By the press They tend to love it to me, it has a, um, a reasonable amount of te- – it's, it's, it's right in the sweet spot for drinking young right now. Um, I tend to like to drink Cabernet when it's young or when it's really well-aged, but somewhere in that 6- to 8-year-old range is where I tend to not drink Cabernet. Uh, but, mm. uh, but I think 07 is absolutely in the sweet spot with structure, with texture, a little bit of perfume and a lot of length. In general, on these single vineyard wines, each one's different. Um, 08 is going to be a vintage that people absolutely adore over the top, or else it's not going to be their cup of tea. Um, 08 it was a very warm year with an extremely small crop, and it is arguably the ripest vintage that I can remember. So it's almost like uh, if you happen to like really jammy wines with that upfront—it's uh, not sugar, but that perception of sweetness, of fat, of rounded—that sure. uh, feeling that it melts in the mouth. 08 is going to absolutely knock your socks off. If you like uh, more a little more perfume, elegance, that structure and length that is more typical, I would say, of 07 of of 2000, well, uh, quite a number of the years in the 2000s, actually. Um, yeah, it's it's different. So, so both of those, they're vintages that I love, and I'm gonna I'm gonna love to compare and contrast the two vintages. They will not be mistaken for each other. <laughs> you know, gotcha. and, that, and and vintages are supposed to have, besides the vineyards having personality and a winery having a style, vintages are supposed to show through. You know, we're not making coke. We want it to really reflect the nature of the year, the nature of the place, and the nature, really, of the people involved.
1: Absolutely. No, 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 I think, I think that's great. That's true. And, that's, you know, the good thing about that is is that really gives people something to think about um, for the upcoming 208s. Um, so here, here's another question I have. I, got, I have. I've had a million questions for you, but I, I'm kind of cherry-picking the ones that I want to ask, uh, of course, uh, you're responsible for the direction of the the other wine companies as well, Dolce being the late harvest wine and Anru being the um, Pinot Noirs. Mm-hmm. Tell my listeners, okay, what the reason was for not producing these different wines under one umbrella, Nickel and Nickel or Farniente.
2: Okay. Um, the first time that we came up with making a decision to start a separate winery instead of adding a wine to a winery, was uh, when I started Dolce, and right. the, the reason, the reasoning, really was pretty, was was very simple. And I can't say that whether it was correct or incorrect. I can say it's what we did, and there are reasons since then on why it was important. But Farniente was in the lucky position of being um, famous nationally and internationally for Chardonnay and for Cabernet. And there are very few wineries in the world that are truly internationally famous for, relatively few that are famous for one wine, very few that are famous for two wines, and I would venture that there are none that are truly famous for three wines. And we wanted Dolce to be the very best that it could be. It was an unproven idea. A lot of people thought it was crazy at the time. And we thought that the best way for Dolce to learn everything it needed to know and to be appreciated by the public was, in fact, for it to have to stand on its own. So to this day, the only wine that Dolce makes is its single dessert wine, and some years it makes a normal amount, in some years it makes a very small amount. But I would say that in some of the years when it was very difficult in the past, if it had not been that Dolce had to succeed with its one wine, I don't know if we would have eventually said, this is too much work just to be a third wine from Farniente. We found that specializing in that allowed us to get better, and it was that idea of specializing that made us believe that if we wanted nickel nickel to investigate and enjoy and get better at making single vineyard wines, it needed to do it with its own winemaker at its own facility and not be bound by the ideas that defined Farniente. So each of these were separate because we loved the wine and we wanted it to succeed and find its best expression, and for that, it needed the freedom of being independent.
1: Okay, yeah. I have to tell you, um, for all of you out there that is, are not familiar with Dolce or or understand about light, Late Harvest, uh, I would kind of say two things. One, if you are a sweet Riesling lover, this would be something for you as well, and if you're into like Sauternes, that also would be uh, another one to to look, um, but I have to say it stands on its own. It's by far, for me, one of the best late harvest wines I think you can you can find anywhere. It's outstanding. Um, when I worked in the retail, it, it, tr- yeah, I have to tell that, you,
2: it's earned that reputation and it's it's uh, been gratifying for us. But and I can tell you, it's an incredibly demanding technical wine to make. So uh, I would imagine. Yeah, thank you. But and it's a
1: 375. It's a you know it's a we do uh, about
2: 95 percent of it, ni- 95 to 98 percent of it in half bottles, and again that's really because that way people will bother to open it and enjoy it. And our belief is wine's supposed to be enjoyed far yes, more sure. than the idea of wine's supposed to be
1: collected. I, I agree, and and I would think, and this is just me, um, you know, being someone who enjoys sherry as well uh, and ports. Uh, you know, something whereby you have such a large bottle, let's say 750 or something like that. You know, people tend to drink it in smaller amounts uh, and share it amongst friends. And, you know, it's a sipping – it's really definitely a sipping and relaxing kind of uh, uh, wine that
2: yeah. – A little bit of dessert wine goes a long way. You don't
1: need a lot. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, if you, know, if you had a 750 of that <laughs> and you opened it up, you know, uh, the, right. the thought would be – you know, it would it, – it would go bad by the time you finish it.
2: Exactly. A lot of people sit there and look at a seven fifty and go, I don't have enough friends here tonight to enjoy this. Whereas uh with a half bottle it's like, hey, let's let's splurge.
1: Exactly.
2: Let's fun.
1: Exactly. And and the other thing I was just gonna say, when I worked in the retail trade um managing store, it was probably one of the most asked for <laughs> Is there one? Uh Sweet wines, if you will, the only way to put it, because people like to you know, think of it as a sweet wine. But again, a late harvest wine. It was one of the most sought-after and asked-for wines that I, that I do remember of that genre. So just wanted to let you know that... Uh, that and I'm, not that you don't know. I'm sure you know the numbers on it. But you see them. But uh, yeah, they reflect that. So, so other questions I have here. Um, let's see. So since Nickel & Nickel is known for making some of the best cabs, Mm -hmm. Tell us why the focus on cabs.
2: Um, Focus on cab. There's there's a couple of reasons. Um, The first is that really, our experience in our location, we have a lot. We have a long experience with cabernet from a number of vineyards in Napa Valley. As we were as we were building our blend at Farniente, our winery is located in Oakville, which is which is absolutely the the epicenter, if you want to call it, the heart of 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 napa valley's great Cabernet country that's
1: cab country uh, right there,
2: yeah, I mean, if you start looking around at our neighbors and you have uh mandavi's private reserve, our next door neighbor is opus one we've got up the, right up the hill from us Harlan out in the on the other side beside one of our vineyards' you've got screaming eagle and and on and on and on it's kind of ni- name dropping but it's a great neighborhood um we we so Napa, Val- Napa Valley is where we're at. Cabernet is what Napa makes Napa Valley uh, really shine to its best, and how we express ourselves well. So for us, it was Cabernet was the natural fit for our experience and the location. And then it was a matter of starting to find the vineyards where the different soils and different exposures all would start to tell the story of how varied and how interesting Napa Valley Cabernet is when expressed as single vineyard wines with the same philosophy of excellence, the same winemaker behind them, because our single vineyard wines are 100% from the vineyard, but they're also 100% Cabernet, 100% the variety, so that people aren't getting confused, oh, did you blend in Merlot or did you blend in Cabernet Franc? No, this is Cabernet at this location, and you can compare it to Cabernet at another location where we've made both of them. And that's not to say that we use the same techniques on the different vineyards. Just as if you had children, you have to do things that are a little different for one of your children than for another. But in both cases, you are sitting there trying to promote each to be the best that it can be. So um, that is the thing. They are not identical in how they're handled. Each is handled in a way to bring out the very best as if it were the only single vineyard wine we were making. So we actually make about a dozen different single vineyard Cabernets. So Doris is a very, very talented winemaker, incredibly organized. (laughs) This takes a lot of effort and and an awful lot of control in order to be able to do it this way. But at the same time, we have a lot of fun. I mean, these are neat wines. We like getting better at the farming of them to bring out the character, at the winemaking of them, working with our growers and then ultimately sharing them.
1: Good answer. Yeah, I, I think, the, and I think it comes through. I think in the uh, the final product. Just so you know. Um, so, so here's what here's I have. There's a couple of questions. Like, and this is something I want to let you know. Uh, I, if you listen to the shows that I do, um, and I've said this now many many times, I never ask the same questions twice of my my guests. However. <laughs> this is something I've started as a tradition, and um, so this is going to be I'm asking now you this question. you ready?
2: I'll give it a shot
1: You can have anyone you want okay um, and now it could be something that you've tried in the past uh and loved thought it was phenomenal uh, or it's something that you're 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 so seeking or Sought after for you, something that you want to get. What wine is that?
3: Hmm. Best wine uh, you ever
1: tasted? Something you tasted and you said, "Oh my God, this knocked my socks off." You had mentioned earlier. I know you mentioned no, something you said. Yeah, I mean, I can you tell stopped. you. That I,
2: you talk on the, You talk on some of these things, and they, um in in saying the best wine you've ever had can sound really pretentious because it's so it's so rarefied at times. Um, so I'm not going to say that one, which was the best wine I've ever had in my life. But oh, um, come on, Dirk! Uh, but <laughs> now I got a, I got a different one. Um, that I'm okay. Gonna say. And um, there's a there's a uh, there's uh, you see I can have different stories for different things because they're they're related to who you share it with and how and how you Absolutely. had it why you, and it's related to memories. But. Um, I made friends with a, a particular winemaker who's very famous in uh, Hermitage in uh, okay. in France. So this lovely hill in the beside the Rhone River. And um yeah I I'm still on the phone here. Um and so um he, he may make, he makes one of the great wines of the world, his, his Jean-Louis Chaves Hermitage. And sure. I went and visited him. We tasted through all the barrels and talked about how the different single vineyards were had their personality and were special. And then he opened up a wine that he doesn't sell. And he took me over this little corner and he opened. Up, he uh, pulled out a bottle of white wine. And, uh, and I probably drink 99% red wine. So the fact that I'm answering this with a white wine that doesn't have a name will show you how contrary I can be. But um, this wine was just a nice white wine and um, i'm kind of tasting and wondering about it and he sat there and said i make this wine every two or three years and um when i was a kid my dad used to take me take the whole family on a road trip and we used to stop at this one little winery and we'd buy a little bit of the guy's wine so we had it for picnics and for our vacation he said i make this wine to remind me of my dad and those vacations Hmm. That's pretty great wine.
3: Okay. So, Interesting. So, okay.
2: So that I, was see, like that's, every, that's every, a wine that's not available.
0: Right. It?
2: it doesn't have a price. It would be cheap. I got it. And but it's completely about the person and about the.
1: Place. There you go. Well, and listen, I I, I appreciate the candor, uh, and 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 the good part about it is, it's like I get a different answer from everybody. I love the answers I get, but it's the one fine line. Uh, questions that I ask everybody now on the show—it's a traditional question. Everything else right. is completely different. So I only have a couple minutes left. So Dirk, are there any upcoming events at the vineyards or news about your wines you want to, would like to impart oh, to my listeners? Um,
2: I probably should have asked. I probably should have asked uh, Mary, who's in charge in charge of keeping me uh, up to date on on those things. I know that uh, we've got a we've got a lovely wine club. Uh, they have some. They have great fun here. And I think that a bunch of the people are coming for what we call our Starlight Dinner at Nickel yep. and Nickel. I think it's this weekend. And I couldn't tell you whether there are still spaces available or not. Is um, it at
1: Nick, nickel.com? Uh,
2: Nickel and Nickel. Can
1: they find, and you can they find out, out about it
2: at nickelandnickel.com? Yeah, nickelandnickel.com or call us. And uh, there may okay. or may not be spaces. I wish I knew. Uh, okay. Know, that comes to mind, and I'm certain that, that there are things, but generally, if somebody checks either Farniente's website or Nickel & Nickel's website, um, I think that at this point, you can. there's even a Facebook – I don't think they call it a fan page now, but it's something like that. Um, th- right. That, that well, now- we, have,
1: we only uh-huh. actually have a, a few moments left here, so what I'm going to do is okay. tell everybody to go to Nickel & Nickel, uh, www.NickelAndNickel.com. Check out Dirk's Wines and the info there for all the other websites. Uh, that's the show for tonight. I want to thank everyone who listened in, called in, emailed in, all of that. I especially want to thank Dirk Hampson for coming on and telling us about his amazing wine. So you are a scholar and a, uh, and, and a legend in the wine industry, and I really appreciate you coming on, and I, I'd like to have you on again. There's so much more I want to ask, um, well, but thank you.
2: Thank you very much for I having me on.
1: Thanks so much. Okay. Have a great evening, Dirk.
2: You too. Bye.
1: Take care. As always, if you have any questions about the show, you can email them to info at stewthewineguru.com. You can go to my website as well at com and click on the link for all my wine, wine articles, videos, and listen to archived wine talk shows. And that's it. As always, I say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stew the Wine Guru. Drink up, good night, and good wine. Thank you, everyone.